Everyone, we continue our read-through of the New Testament. We've just seen Christ be crucified and buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, laid to rest on that dark but good Friday. Today we get to John 20, and the glorious reality that He is risen, risen indeed. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Of course, John would have to mention the fact that he outran Peter, of all things. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus, Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and when he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead, then the disciple went back to their homes. So here, right, we see this opening reality of the discovery of the empty tomb, beginning here with Mary Magdalene. Right? The four gospel accounts have accounts of several resurrection appearances, and together with Acts chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians 15, there are 12 appearances total, the first six in Jerusalem, four in Galilee, one on the Mountain of Olives, and one on the road to Damascus. So we see that Mary Magdalene is the one who discovers it. We know there were other women with her at the time. So she runs and, runs and tells Peter and John, right? And so she tells us, hey, we have went to the tomb and we have found that it's empty. We do not know where the Lord is, right? Neither Mary nor the disciples were expecting the resurrection in spite of what Jesus had told them. So once again, this just goes to show they are still fully uh, blinded by the reality of what it is that's actually happening in this moment. And so Peter and John, they run to it. And like I said earlier, John makes clear that he outran Peter. He, he beat him there. And they saw the linen cloths. John took the first cursory look and he saw that only the burial cloths were there. And Peter and John then made a closer inspection. The grave cloths were in good order. And if someone had violated the tomb and removed the corpse, the linen cloths would not have been so well arranged. And the handkerchief definitely would not have been folded. This is a picture that this was no hasty removal of a body. But this was carefully folded as a reality that something far different has happened than just a simple grave robbery. Later, as a result of Jesus' insurrection, they would understand that his resurrection was a necessary fulfillment. But right now, they do not fully grasp it. And so they go back home, likely scratching their head as to what in the world has taken place. Verse 11, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she wept. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, 
Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Stop there. What, what an awesome scene here as Mary weeps outside the tomb in the reality of thinking that her, love, that her beloved Lord has been uh, removed, has been taken away where they can never go and, and visit the tomb, that, that maybe something horrific has happened to his body, something degrading. And as she sits there and weeps and she looks in, she sees two angels in white who make it very clear, why, why is it that you weep? And they are trying to make clear to her, he's not here because he's been taken. He's here because he's been risen. And as she's weeping and having this conversation, we see something fascinating happening. Jesus reveals himself to her standing. But what's fascinating is that Jesus does not immediately make clear who he is. Right? She thought that he was the gardener. And she makes clear why she weeps. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And then Jesus did something remarkable. He calls her by name, Mary. And that was enough. As Jesus spoke her name, that was the identifying mark that she knew that that indeed was Jesus she talked to. The voice of Jesus calling Mary clearly revealed who he was. He was Rabboni in, in its lengthened form of rabbi. She, he was her teacher. He was her Lord. And when Christ calls us by name, oh, do we not know that it is him? We can hear his voice. He who called us from darkness and into light. And it is a voice that is familiar. And we know it immediately once we have heard it. He says, do not cling to me. And there's no impropriety in t- touching a resurrection body. Jesus will tell Thomas to touch him. But Jesus reminds Mary that he's not merely recovered, but resurrected. He's no mere Lazarus, right? No, she need not cling to Jesus as an earthly being who has been healed, but rather she should recognize him as one whose resurrection marks him as Lord and Christ. The kind of relationship that had been enjoyed by his friends up to now cannot continue unchanged. There is a continuing intimacy to be sure, but not of the former kind. There is no reason to suppose that Jesus ascended to the Father between his encounters with Mary and Thomas, but rather walks among them, appearing throughout, to where he will ultimately meet the brothers as he appears to them in the next scene. Verse 19, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. And so here Jesus now appears to the disciples, and notice this little description. They were in a locked room, scared to death for their own life. They just saw what he had did what the Jews had did to his master, and they were worried that that was going to happen to them next. 
And as they are cowering in this locked room, who all of a sudden appears in their midst? Jesus. And he did so in a physical body, a physical resurrection body, which should just show us the transformation involved in the resurrection of the body. The, ability, the, the incredible powers given to a physical body that is able to transcend solid structures, right? It's just, it's just remarkable. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing, the reality. He says, peace be with you. Everyday words, but a most welcome greeting, since they might have expected a rebuke for having abandoned Jesus at his arrest. They, were, they would have expected him to absolutely just lambast them with how horrible they could be to have left them and abandoned them in their faithlessness. But instead, he says, peace be with you. Right? And then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. This is so powerful. This is a picture that comes out of creation when the Lord breathed on Adam and it gave him life in that moment. And here the Lord is breathing on them, giving them life. It is the creator at work and a a foreshadow of what will come with the fullness of the Spirit to be bestowed on the church at Pentecost. He says something fascinating here about sins. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. But if you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. The apostles, as the founders of the church and acting for it, received the authority to declare God's judgment on sin. And fundamentally, this declaration is made in and through the preaching of the Gospels. And so it makes very clear that the apostolic witness becomes the testimony of that which is of Christ and that which is apart from Him. Now we see another interesting interaction between Jesus and Thomas. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus once again came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to them, Have you, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me, yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Here we see this fascinating interaction of what is often given Thomas the the title Doubting Thomas. And I think Thomas gets a bad rap. Because if we're honest, all the disciples were doubted. I mean, the first time that they see that the tomb is empty, they think someone's taken his body. They're, they're, they're cowering and hovering in a locked room, even after they've seen Jesus. So uh, these, these disciples were all full of doubt prior to seeing the resurrected Christ. So I, I don't think that it's fair to give Thomas quite the, uh, the, the, the run that we have 
uh, with his doubting. This is the same Thomas who back in chapter 11 said, you know, let us go to Jerusalem to die with him. Uh, he may have been pessimistic, but he wasn't a doubter. He was a believer and a strong one at that. But he had a hard time believing the resurrection just as anyone would in light of everything that had recently happened. And yet in the midst of his struggle with belief, the Lord appears to him. What an amazing reality of the graciousness of the Lord. The Lord didn't wait for Thomas to be like, yeah, yeah, I think it's possible. No, he appeared. He met Thomas where he was in the midst of his doubt and revealed exactly what was needed to strengthen his faith. Brothers and sisters, I believe that is true for the Lord for anyone. The Lord in his goodness meets us right where we are when we are honest and transparent about our doubt. And we can say with that centurion, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. The Lord is gracious and merciful to his own to help us be strengthened in areas where we struggle and to show us just enough of himself to ensure that our strength is made, that our strength is uh, is received, that our faith is ensured, and that we are able to declare with Thomas, my Lord and my God. What a statement regarding Jesus' deity. My Lord and my God. And notice Jesus doesn't rebuke him. He simply says, oh, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who believe without having to see. That is us, those who have not physically seen Jesus. But spiritually, we've seen him in everything. As we have beheld him in his word, just as John has said, these words are written that you may believe. You can read every fairy tale that was ever written, every mystery thriller, every ghost story, and you will never find anything so shocking, so strange, so weird and spellbounding as the story of the incarnation of the Son of God. How dead we are, how callous and unfeeling to our glory and and to his story. How often have we had to repent and say, God, I'm sorry that the stories that men have made stir up our emotions, our awe and our wonder and admiration and joy more than his story. Perhaps the galactic movie thrillers of our day can do at least this good for us. They can humble us and bring us to repentance by showing us that we really are capable of some of the wonder and awe and amazement that we so seldom feel when we contemplate the eternal God and the cosmic glory of Christ and a real living contact between them and us and Jesus of Nazareth. When Jesus said, For this purpose I came into the world, he said something as crazy and weird and strange and eerie as any statement, any movie, or any book will ever put forth. How I pray for a breaking forth of the Spirit of God upon me and upon you, for the Holy Spirit to break into our experience in a frightening way, to wake us up to the unimaginable reality of God. One of these days, lightning will fill the sky from the rising of the sun to its setting, and there will appear in the clouds the Son of Man with his mighty angels in flaming fire. And we will see him clearly. And whether from terror or sheer excitement, we will tremble, And we will wonder how we ever lived so long with such a domesticated view of Christ. These things are written. The whole Bible is written. That we might believe, that we might be stunned and awakened to the wonder that Jesus Christ 
is the Son of God who came into the world to save sinners by dying on a cross in their place and by being raised to life, to eternal glory, where he sits on the throne of heaven, ruling and reigning forever, a kingdom which cannot be shaken, a kingdom which is available to all who repent and believe in him. God bless.